All right. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 at first, and then we're going to spend quite a bit of time in Acts chapter 10. And, um, and so I want to jump right in because I, I've got a big passage I want to share with you. But I, I think that the, the story itself, I, I think in its full context, really speaks to, uh, to the church today and, and what we ought to be about. And so uh, this morning we're going to be talking about the call to send, that the, the church as it exists, is called to send. That we're not supposed to just be isolationists. We're not just supposed to sit and take care of our own right here, but that we are commissioned and called to go beyond uh, just our own comfort zone. And so I want to share with you that in beginning in Acts chapter 1, uh, the, the, the setting here is this, that Jesus has died on the cross, risen from the grave, and that he has appeared and spent time with and had meals with his disciples after that period of time. And here they have gathered on the Mount of Olives um, for one last gathering, and then Jesus is about to be uh, taken up into heaven. And so it says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And, and so they, they still were expecting the Messiah to be the one who gave the land back to Israel, to establish an earthly king and an earthly kingdom that would govern the whole world eventually. And, and so they're asking, is this the time? Is it, is it happening now? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, don't worry about that. It's not for you to know. You don't have to know it. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus is telling them, listen, this message that I'm entrusting you with, this gospel, the good news about who I am, it is going to go with you, not just here in Jerusalem, not just in the greater Judea area, but it's going to go to the remotest part of the earth. And it says, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And what we know from the story here is this, that Jesus tells them, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to testify about me. You're going to tell others that I am the Messiah, the chosen one sent from God, through which forgiveness of sins is going to come. And you're going to go... <coughs> Not just here in Jerusalem, not, not just in Judea, not just to Samaria next door, but you're going to go all the way to the utter ends of the earth. And then Jesus was caught up, and they went back to Jerusalem, and they were praying in the upper room whenever the Holy Spirit came upon them. So this was that time of the church. We know that 3,000 souls were saved on that first day when Peter preached and proclaimed the word. And the church began to grow and it began to, to multiply. And there were more and more people who were becoming part of the followers of Christ. And the church, as it began to grow, was really kind of stationed and centered right there in Jerusalem. And it wasn't until persecution really rose up that they began to spread outward and move outward. But they were still battling within their own ideology, within their own mindset, within their own traditions and the way they grew up on whether or not this message was really for all men. In fact, they really believed that this message of salvation was strictly for the Jews. 
And there were some who didn't think that we should be wasting time or spending time seeking out Gentiles to share with them the gospel. As the gospel went out, a lot of them were talking in the synagogues, in the places of worship for Judaism, to say, listen, our Messiah has come. But they didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the Gentiles. In fact, that's really illustrated here in Acts chapter 10. So if you turn to Acts chapter 10, we're going to skip over the first eight verses, and let me just tell you what's, what's going on. There's a man named Cornelius who is a centurion. Right? A centurion was somebody who was over at least 100 men, sometimes more than that. But he was over what they called the Italian co- cohort. All right? And he was there in the area, in Caesarea, and he was, he was a God-fearing Gentile. So he was someone that had seen Judaism, had learned what they taught and what they believed, and he believed that their God was the one true God. And because of that, he had sympathy and compassion for the Jews... He was kind to them, and he was, he was well-meaning towards them. And one day he was praying, and an angel appeared to him and said, I want you to send someone to get Peter, and I want you to bring him back here because he's got a message that you need to hear. And so immediately he sends servants to Joppa to find Peter. All right, and we're going to pick up the story as these servants are on their way in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, verse 9... It says, on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry, was desiring to eat, and while they were making preparations, he fell into a a trance. It says, and he saw the sky opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Right? So the context here is this. Peter grew up in Judaism. He grew up a Jewish person. And he knew that there were certain types of animals that you could kill for food and eat. And then there were other types of animals that you weren't allowed to do that with. And so there were certain things that it was okay. Lambs, sheep, those things you can kill and eat. But other things, other animals were considered unclean. Right? Pigs Hogs, those things were out of the question for a Jewish person. All right, and it went, out, it, it went beyond that. There were lists, long lists of animals that were clean and unclean. And, and Peter is up there alone and he's praying. And as he's praying, the Lord sends him a vision. It says he fell into a trance and he sees this object come down out of the sky. It looks like a sheet held up by four corners. And as it comes down, he sees there are these animals in there, and apparently there are animals in this sheet that are unclean. They're the ones that they're not supposed to eat. And Peter is is kind of disturbed because God tells him, I want you to take one of these animals, kill, and eat. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 no. Those are unclean animals. That's that's unfit. I, I, I wouldn't defile myself that way, Lord. You've told us not to eat of these things. I, I'm not going to do that. That would be unclean. 
And God says to him, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And we know that this message is not just about which animals are clean and which ones are unclean. Right? Now, I like this because Peter makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Because this is what happens. It says, this happened three times. Now, I think there's significance in the number three, absolutely, as you look through Scripture. But I think also it takes Peter three times before he's really convinced. And sometimes I feel that way too. I don't think that, that can't be what God is telling me. That, that can't possibly be what God's message is for me. But Peter hears it again and hears it again. It says, immediately the object was taken up into the sky. And Peter's still not quite satisfied with it. It says, now while Peter was greatly perplexed in his mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. All right, so Peter is really troubled by this. It's really disturbed him. What is, what is God saying here? Why is God telling me to kill and eat these animals that I know are forbidden? I know that they are, they're not kosher. I know that I shouldn't be partaking of these things, and yet God is telling me not to call unclean what God has considered to be clean, what God has cleansed himself. And while Peter is still pondering this, those men that Cornelius sent show up at the gate. Now, this is a big deal because these men are not Jewish. They are not descendants of Israel. They are not people that Peter would associate with. All right? And they show up, and, and his, this is what it says. And let me read this in verse 18. It says, Calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, these, uh, these three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one who, are you're, who you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. Now, this is a big deal to Peter. And God knew that it would be a big deal to Peter. And that's why God sent him that vision of those those animals that were unclean, God's saying, take and eat, and don't call it unclean if I've cleansed it. And now he's saying, I want you to go with these Gentiles to that Gentile's house. I'm sending you. Don't have any misgivings. And so Peter, on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with them, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. 
And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. See, Peter had his own ideas that this would have been inappropriate. This was not right. He shouldn't be going into this household of Gentiles because he was of God's chosen people. And there should be a divide, a division between them. And yet God had sent him, and he's, he's being upfront and honest. Listen, I shouldn't be here. It's not right for me to be in your house. And yet God has sent me, and here I am. He says, that is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask, for what reason you have sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I, I imagine being Peter in that situation, right? All he got from God was, there are three guys who just showed up, go with them. That's it. That's his instructions. Go. And so Peter obeys the Lord, goes with them, and then they're like, okay, so God said that you had a message for us, and so we're ready. Go ahead. And Peter is there, and he's like, okay, well, I, I don't know what good this is going to do. I know the message that God's entrusted me with, but you guys are Gentiles, and so I'm really not sure what else to tell you, so I'll just tell you what I've been telling people. This is the only message I know that God has commanded me to give, and if God is saying I should give it here, he's probably not convinced that it will do any good. Because in his mind, in his, his understanding, in his heart of hearts, he still thinks that salvation is for the Jews. He thinks that salvation is for Israel itself and not for these Gentiles. But God said to go with them. Clearly an angel told them to send for me. And that vision of the, the sheet coming down, I guess I'm not going to call you unclean or unholy. Here goes. And this is what Paul preaches to them. Opening his mouth, not Paul, Peter. Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. In every nation, the man who fears him does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching through, excuse me, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. And God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. 
Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Cornelius had gathered together his family and friends. It was a room full of Gentiles. A room full of people that Peter never would have thought to go to himself. And as he preaches about Jesus and how Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies, that Jesus was the judge of the living and the dead, that Jesus was the source of peace between God and man, these people are cut to the heart and they know that it's the truth and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. It says this, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. These guys were dumbfounded. They, were, they could not believe what they were seeing, what they were hearing. You know, they had witnessed and they had been a part of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. They knew what it was like to experience revival. They knew what it was like to experience that indwelling of the Holy Spirit that gave them life and boldness that they never knew they could have before. They knew what it was to believe in Jesus, and now with their own eyes, with their own ears, they can see that the Holy Spirit is falling on these Gentiles, and that they are receiving from Christ the same thing that they themselves had received from Christ, and all of their preconceived ideas just topple to the ground. And Peter says, surely we can't stand in the way of this. If, if this is the Holy Spirit... Who could deny that it's the Holy Spirit, first of all? And if it's the Holy Spirit falling upon them, how can we stand in the way of them being baptized and welcoming them into our faith? Because being baptized means that you are now a part of a different family. Being baptized means that you are leaving behind your old way of life and you are all in with Jesus. And that means that you become sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in this family of God. And to baptize these Gentiles meant that we were welcoming them into that fold. And Peter said, I can't stand in the way of that because I see the power of the Holy Spirit living in them. And the same is true of the church today. We cannot stand in the way. We cannot hold back. We cannot consider other people to be different than us such that they couldn't possibly be saved. We have to have the same kind of compassion that God was teaching Peter to have in that moment. That just because their skin color is different, just because they speak a different language, just because they've grown up in a different environment, just because they've practiced a different religion in their past, doesn't exclude them from the grace of God. None of those things matter in the eyes of God. Christ Jesus died on the cross as a payment for all. No matter what they look like, no matter what they sound like, no matter what they smell like, God loves us all. 
And if God loved me enough that he sent his son to die for me, a sinner just like everyone else, then how could I stand in the gap when God wants to save others? Now, Peter, Peter was not cured in this moment of all of his racial superiority. We, we find other passages later on where he was confronted because he was spending preferential time with Jews like him rather than with Gentile brothers and sisters. And Paul had to call him out on it. You can read about that in Galatians. We're not going there today. But it was something that he learned and he had to continue to learn. And sometimes those preconceived ideas creep back up into our minds. And we stop to feel that urgency to go and share the message with people who are not like us. And we need to be, be mindful that that was God's call, that God... From the very beginning, Jesus was telling them, listen, you're going to go not just here in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, not just to Samaria, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that call is still alive today. And we need to be going as often as we can to people who are not like us. And so it's the call of the church to meet that response, to meet that need. Look with me in Acts chapter 13. We find this passage of Scripture where a church is gathered together and it's really the, the leaders of the church are having a prayer meeting. Look with me, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now there's some names here, all right? A little grace is what I'm asking for at this moment. It says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And it says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And it says, Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Listen, this is huge. Barnabas, if, if you don't know much about Barnabas in, in the book of Acts, he is known as an encourager. He's called the son of encouragement. And, and Barnabas, he was somebody that you really wanted to have around. He was that guy that you wanted on your team who was always giving you a pep talk, who was always encouraging you whenever you felt at your lowest. In fact, it was Barnabas who brought Saul back to the church to say, listen, this guy's okay. Trust me, he's got what we need. Because Saul, if you remember, he had been on the road killing people, finding people who were of the belief that Jesus was the Messiah and dragging them back to Jerusalem so that they could be held or, or put on trial. And then many of those were being put to death at his approval, at his pleasure. And so God appeared to Saul. He said, why are you killing me? Why are you persecuting me? And he said, I've got a plan for you, and I've got a message for you. And it says that Saul, for a time, went away, and he searched the Scriptures out. We know that, that he, he had a revelation from the Lord where he began to see Jesus in all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he had amazing training as a, from, from his youth up that then God met with Jesus and he began to see the gospel in a clearer way than anyone else in his day. 
God gave him messages to deliver to the churches all around the known world of his day. But there were people who still didn't trust him until Barnabas came along and said, no, no, trust me, guys. This guy has got a message from the Lord that we need to hear. Barnabas was an encourager. And he was somebody that everyone loved and trusted. And he encouraged Saul, who became Paul, and he, he brought him to the church. And Paul began to teach in a way that they finally saw with clarity things that they had not seen before. And, and Paul was this just a great asset to have on hand. And here's what's happening in this prayer meeting is God is saying, listen, I want you to take Barnabas, that guy that you guys all love to have around, and, and Saul or Paul, you know, the guy that has the special revelation of the Word of God, I want you to take those two guys and I want you to send them away. And if you're the church at Antioch, you're thinking, oh, please let that be a fluke. We didn't really hear that right, did we? I don't really, this is, this is the dream team. These are the guys that we want to have on hand. These are the guys that we need most desperately right here. And God is saying, no, I want you to take those two guys and I want you to send them out. And it took more fasting and more praying before they were willing to lay their hands on them and then send them away. God has a plan to use you. And it says this, that they, being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. So what did they do? They, they went to the synagogues. That was the place they knew to go to, and they began to proclaim the word of God. And what we know from the rest of the book of Acts is this, that as they went, followers of Christ were trained up. And as Paul visited city after city after city, as he taught in place after place after place, he was appointing elders and leaders of churches that would continue the work of preaching the gospel in their area. And we know that, that through his ministry, the gospel reached the known world of his day. Through his willingness to go, to be sent, God used him mightily but also, I believe Antioch was blessed because they were so willing to send. It can be difficult for us sometimes to let go of people. We, we bring in people and they, we love them, we cherish them, we appreciate all the things that they do for us, but every once in a while God will say, it's time for them to be sent. It's time for them to go. It's time for them to continue the ministry that they're doing right here, but to continue it somewhere else. And as a church, we should be looking for those opportunities today. That as people are trained up in their knowledge of faith, as people are trained up with the idea that, that they, they have a special ability, a special talent, a special blessing from the Holy Spirit to teach and to preach and to train others, that we should be looking for those people and looking for opportunities to send them out. Listen, I, I'm here today because the church believed in me enough to license me, to ordain me, and to send me out to minister even outside the walls of their own church. And there may be some of you that God wants to send somewhere. 
And we as a church should be a, a, a very eager participant in your sending out and your being sent where God wants to lead you. Because God has more work to be accomplished. There are more lives to be won. There are more people who need to hear the message of hope that God has granted to us. And the church today needs to be about sending people out. And sometimes that means we send out the very best so that they could go and be a blessing to others. It can be difficult to do that. We're approaching you know, the age in our household. We've, we, our oldest is 16, almost. One more week, right, Anna? Thursday, not even a week. <laughs> Thanks for the quick correction. <clears throat> but you know, we know it's not much more time before we're going to be sending her out. She's going to have a life of her own that she is being equipped for and being prepared for. And we can see the hand of God already molding her and shaping her into the woman that he wants her to be. And we know there's going to come a time where we let her go. And that's a difficult thing to face. Many of you have already gotten to that stage. And you've, you've had to let go of some things and release some things and let people make their own decisions. And the same thing can be true within the body of Christ, that there are times where we have to release people out into ministry. But we need to do that joyfully. We need to do that with, with encouragement, knowing that that is the way that God grows His church. That He, he calls on churches to send others out. But not only that, Churches are called to participate in the, the missions as well. Sometimes not necessarily by sending people, but by sending resources. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul, who was one who had been sent out all over, one of the churches he visited and established was the church at Philippi. And Philippians chapter 4 is part of his letter back to them. And as he's writing to the, the church at Philippi, he says this to them in chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. He says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. He says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my need. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Listen, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, listen, you guys have helped me in the past. You were the first church to send 
special needs or special gifts to meet my needs. And I haven't forgotten that. And I know that it's happened before. And now I've received another gift from you. I know that you're partaking with me in this work. You're, you're joining in the sufferings as I've gone. And he says, I'm not asking for a gift just because I need it, because I know that the Lord will meet my needs however He chooses, but I'm rejoicing in that, and I'm, I'm thanking you for it because I know that it profits you. I know that it's a blessing to you to be a church that sins, to be a church that meets those needs of those who are sent. He says this, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, I believe this to the very core of who I am. That the reason that we have an abundance is so that we can use it abundantly for the kingdom of God. The reason that God blesses us is so that we can be a blessing. And I believe that whenever we hold, a, hold what God has blessed us with in a closed fist, I believe that we miss opportunities for Him to pour even more into us. A church that, that understands the calling to send others out understands that sometimes God blesses us with resources that are not for us, but it's for the work of the ministry in other places. You know, I want us to be a church that has a, a strategy and a mission for giving. That we're not just about meeting our own local needs. We're not just about taking care of our own facilities, but that we are looking outward for ways that we can be a blessing both here in our local setting. Scroggins is our Jerusalem. It's funny to think of Scroggins as Jerusalem. <laughs> but, you know, in the greater Franklin County, the greater area of te northeast Texas, we should have impact in every arena that God gives us the opportunity to be involved with. We should be thinking about our brothers and sisters who are establishing churches in the Northwest. It's a very difficult place to establish a church. But we should be thinking also about people in other parts of the world who are translating the Bible or are just now learning a new language that they may one day translate the Bible into it. And those types of things, we have an abundance of resources that they need. And we should be strategically involved in any way that we can. And many times we think, well, I don't have an abundance of resources. But we have to think globally. We have to think outside of us. And those little things that we can do, it, I love that he says it this way. <clears throat> if I can find that verse again. He says, You have done well to share with me in my affliction. If you know the story of Paul, he suffered for the mission that God had given him. His sending was not luxury. 
Right? There were times that he was beaten. There were times that he was stoned to death. Like they really believed they had finished. He was dead. And then he got up and went back into the city. There were times that he was shipwrecked at sea and, and he suffered great loss in the midst of accomplishing great things for the kingdom. And he's telling this church, you're sharing in my affliction. This tells us they're giving sacrificially. There are certain things that they could use the money for that they've chosen instead to send it on to him. I believe that the Lord calls us to be involved not just in sending, not just in going ourselves, not just sending out people from within our own borders, but to send resources to supply the need of those who have gone. And if we're going to accomplish what God has called His church to accomplish, if we're going to be a part of being the church that God called us to be, participating in mission work, whether it's by sending people or sending resources, or simply praying, we need to be involved in going and sending. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. How it teaches us what it means to be your church. God, I thank you for the examples that we see in the early church. How important missions were. We see the example of the church at Antioch being willing to let go of people so that they could go and accomplish your will in other parts of the world. Thank you for the example of the church at Philippi that was willing to join in the affliction of Paul by sending resources to meet his needs. God, I pray that we would be that kind of church. Father, that we would be intentional about raising up people who could go out and carry the mission of the cross into other locations. Father, may we be joyful whenever the time comes that those who have been a blessing to us are being called elsewhere. And may we joyfully send them out with your blessing and may we join with them in that work in any way we can. Father, I pray that as you have called us to be your witnesses, both locally and to the othermost parts of the earth, Father, I pray that we would be strategic about how to use the resources you've given to us to further your kingdom around the world. Father, I pray, as the need is great, we may feel overwhelmed by our insufficiency. But may we recognize that you are completely sufficient to meet the need. And that you invite us to join in the work of meeting needs around the world. So help us to know where we are called. Help us to know how we can be a blessing for the kingdom of God to be sent to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Father, use us. Use this church for your glory and your namesake. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.